Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise God. Tonight I want to share about a very sensitive yet very imperative sermon. But I prayed to God and I asked that may he help you, whoever you are, listening to me to understand the things that I'm going to share tonight. Say amen. amen. In the years that I've read the Gospels, the Word, the Scriptures, I've come to the appreciation that some things in the Gospel are indeed established, complete, perfect in knowledge, epignosis in nature, which is the complete and perfect knowledge of God. But some things are progressive in nature, which is the progressive knowledge of God. And I see that some people in scriptures, Paul inclusive, John inclusive, even though with epignosis, some areas of experience were written in gnosis, progressive knowledge. And because of that, if you're a reader of the scriptures, you will see that even the sermons are progressive. The writings are progressive. The letters are progressive. The words, the language and speech of these men of God progresses. Why? Because in reality, certain things were not as full as they ought to be at a particular point in life. But now they have gotten to the point over time to see the progression of the message of God to its full extent. And because that progression has appeared, even as the church grows, I appreciate that the church also will progress in knowledge and the appearance of many things. Are you following what I'm saying? And because of that, when you read the letters of Paul, you start to also see Paul as a man who is progressing. Certain thoughts are changing over time. In the beginning of his life as an apostle, he says, for when I look at myself, I see that no apostle matches me. No apostle is in my ranks of function. This is how Paul used to think about himself. There was a time he exalted, over-exalted himself, and he says, there is no apostle greater than me. For when I look, no apostle matches me. Paul used to say that. But as he continues to grow, you start to see humility in his life. And when you start to see humility in his life, you start to see that his sentences start changing from the best and the greatest apostle. And then you start hearing him say, I'm least of the apostles that I'm not made to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. And then you ask yourself, the man that used to call himself 
the best apostle, the greatest apostle, how has he gotten to the point that he has become now the least of all the what? The apostles. You understand? It was progressive knowledge. There are certain things that over time he started to understand and they humbled him. Praise God. They helped him understand that even though with the revelations that came to you during that time, you put yourself up there. But I think God deliberately by dealing with him started to tell him and show him exactly who he was. You understand? And we now start to see in Corinthians, Paul humble and he says, and to whom I'm least of all the apostles and not even fit to be called an apostle, he said. Yet he was the greatest. Right? In fact, in the end of his life in Timothy, he says, God came to save all sinners of whom I'm chief. Okay? So you see that many things in his life started changing over life. His attitude and understanding, we start to see a more humble Paul as he grows. Because he started to see more and more. And so I tell people, for example, um, in the conversion of Damascus, there is no proof that actually Ananias gave him a new name. So in scripture, we always ask ourselves, at what point did the name of Paul change? Are you hearing me? But the Paul name changes as revelation on his life progresses. That is why if you're a reader of the word, you'll realize that there's the difference between Saul, who he was, and Paul. In fact, Saul means the desired one, the big one, right? The great one. Paul means the little one, <laughs> the small one. So to see the man who felt as big, eh? to start carrying a name as the legal one or the small one. In fact, literal translation, the humble one. The humble one. It's Paul, right? You see that this was God dealing with a man. Are you hearing me? This was God dealing with what? With a man. And so it is with our Christian work that we begin as babes. But as we continue to advance in God, Somehow he starts to mold us, break us, bend us, teach us. There are things back in the day you used to sort of respond to with a certain indignation and wrath and lugezigezi. Uh, but now as you've grown and are growing, you're starting to humble over certain things. It doesn't mean you're weak. It only means you're growing. You understand what I'm saying? Praise God. And because of that, even when we preach the message of grace... There are things that we had a hard time explaining in the grace message. And I believe that many preachers and ministers of the grace message, some either not able to show those things now, or some, I'm sure, do not know these things. Okay? And because of that, we have had a trouble of trying to explain things in scripture or people placing demands on us to explain things in scripture, particularly in the Pauline teaching that we are not able to explain because these things in explanation contradict our definitions in the message of grace. Are you following what I'm saying? Of course, Paul tells you that I was given the grace as a master builder to lay the foundation of this gospel and he says, and let every man take heed how he buildeth 
thereupon. So Paul, according to the grace of God which is given to him, he was a wise master builder. Nobody can debate that Paul actually laid the foundation of the New Testament. Are you hearing me? But in Paul laying down the ministry and the foundation of the New Testament, there are still questions in some of the things Paul said and did that have caused us to ask questions because they seem contrary to the message of grace, to the doctrine of grace, to the understanding of the heart of grace. And some of us judge Paul and say, uh-uh, I think Paul is not stable. Some of us say, uh-uh, I think Paul is not there yet. He has not yet come to the full understanding of these things. Yet he laid the foundation. So it means in building this, there are areas on the foundation we are not ready to touch. You know, as we are building buildings that go up on one side, but are not raised on the other. And if they are not raised on one side, how can that building still stand? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there have been fundamental questions that we have heard and asked ourselves. And because many of us don't have the answers to those things, many grace preachers ignore, they don't teach it, they don't even talk about it. Or when they do, they only interpret it in their own already preconceived idea of doctrine depending on the school of thought that they carry, the schools, biblical, theological schools they go to, the messages they go to. And some, it's just individual bias. Some, it's just overinflated egos of making the word of God say what it's not saying and causing it to say so that it can fit into their fashion of understanding of doctrine because it's the only way they can maintain and cover some of these things. Um, but again, these questions stay open to us for asking because until the church has answers to these things, we'll never have fully preached the counsel of God. Praise God. And because we're still in the battles of Jacobus versus Calvin, you know, Jacobus Arminian and versus Calvin, many of us are still struggling on that. Praise God. Now, Paul makes very stunning warnings in scripture and many times in the book of Hebrews, okay? Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1. Many times in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1. I'm going to share a few things in the book of Hebrews. And Paul says, therefore, we ought to give the more honest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. Do you think Paul is speaking to believers or unbelievers? How many of you think Paul is speaking to unbelievers? How many of you think Paul is speaking to believers? Yes. He's telling them we ought to give more honest heed to the things which we have heard. That means if they have heard, then that means they have been in the council of God and they have sat under these oracles to hear the things that have to be heard. And he says, we must give more honest heed to the things which we have heard, least at any time we should let them sleep. And now the warning comes. So he says, for if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? We even listened to them that heard it. It was confirmed to us by them that heard it. So we are believers. So now he asks, how shall we escape? If the angels were not spared, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? 
we must take honest heed of the things that we have heard, that we should not let them sleep. That is not usually a language many grace ministers want to preach. And in fact, if you've been in this ministry for some time, you realize that sometimes I sound legal. Sometimes I sound legal. And then some in the process have said, mm, yeah, he preaches the grace, but sometimes there's a way you start hearing some things legalistic. And I can't blame you, because what do you know? You understand? What you know is what you hear people teach on TV. Great ministers of God, whom I also honor myself. But the challenge with the grace message, most so grace preachers of our dispensation, I see this with grace preachers of our dispensation. We have preached the gospel so far that we have even gone beyond Paul and now we have started to disregard the teaching of Paul foundationally. And there's a problem. Because be not fooled. Some people think they can live without Pauline teaching, Paul's letters. But have you ever imagined a church without Paul's letters? What would we do in marriage if Paul hadn't taught about it? The standard of marriage. What would we do in relationships if Paul hadn't taught about them? Fathering. Look at the aspects he touches. Sacrifices, meats, drinks, the law versus grace. You understand? Rapture. The end times. Imagine the gospel had the gospels and then the Bible is closed there. Just how much confusion would be in the body of Christ. Notwithstanding that some people, because they fail to understand Paul, like Peter rightly said, that the things he says are so hard for them, which are unlearned and unstable. Some prefer to stay in the walls of Jericho. Jericho. <laughs> You understand? Some prefer to stay in Goliath and David and stay there the whole year. You understand what I'm saying? Some prefer to stay on the floating axes of the prophet, which is okay, but have you noticed that many local churches don't preach from Pauline letters? Hmm? They are always on Joshua <laughs> and Caleb on a Mufiri Suti. You understand what I'm saying? On the Egyptians you see, you shall see no more. Wrestle with God until He changes you. It's the usual <laughs> narrative. But now when we bring the message of grace, we open Paul. But when we start to open Paul, there are certain parts we choose to close. Because when we get there, he contradicts our teachers before. Okay? Because when I started to preach the message of grace, I started to see that the man who laid the foundation of grace, sometimes it sounds very legal. And at first I said, but Paul... Here. Mm-hmm. Or then I try to make him interpret in my head. I'm trying to say, but I don't think he meant this. I think maybe he was talking to these kinds of people. 
But every time I went deeper into study, I realized, no, actually the man sometimes sounded that way. But Paul was trying to also put a certain pillar to establish something that the gospel would be full to you and me. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you read our history, East African history, 1926, Edward Joe Church comes under the Church Missionary Society. Before that were the White Fathers. The gospel is now changed in the face in the church missionary time. And then we see the Lutheran doctrine come through. And then later on, it starts to die back into the Anglican line. And then the Obidia Boa guys, then the Chiwempe movement comes through. And then the emphasis of the Holy Spirit and all these things, which was a good time. And then in the early 90s, of course, all the men of God that are big in this nation went to America. Studied in America. Have degrees and masters from American colleges. And if you go in amongst everything we teach, they gave us. And you'll see that there are debates are always around the Armenian versus the Calvinist. And many of us, our theology is either Calvinistic or Armenian. Or both. You understand what I'm saying? Of course, there's a smaller little pocket that doesn't understand that is actually not Armenian or Calvinist. But it's also so legal on the other side. That one also has its own challenges. But the more improved and finer ministers, you realize in their language, the print usually is always around that debate, a debate that has been uh, going on for about more than 500 years now. And it continues. It is not going to stop today. It's not going to stop tomorrow. It's still going to continue until the end. And that is why I said, if you're serious about salvation, research about Jacobus, Arminius, and Calvin. You'll see that there's a lot of effect they have on this generation. Some say all Calvin is wrong. Some say all Jacobus, Arminian is wrong. But I say, I think there are Calvinistic things that I agree with, and there are Calvinistic things I don't agree with. There are Arminian things I agree with. There are things in the Arminian I don't agree because some of them, even though they try to reconcile some things, when I still go back to the Bible, I see that some of them, they've diverted a bit from Pauline teaching, okay? When Paul starts speaking these things, eh? Take heed lest we escape such... Eh? Paul, you're scaring. In the grace dispensation, why are you scaring us? You understand? Because we've preached too much grace until we got to a point to think that grace is the excuse of being every foolish thing the world has ever seen. Grace is accountable. Somebody shout, Amen. And so you see him warning. That's chapter 2. Go to chapter 3, Hebrews, verses 12. Again, he's warning. He says, take heed, brethren. Is he talking to non-believers? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Paul, how do you tell a brethren that they can even have an evil heart, yet they have a new heart? A heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. How can you tell a believer that they can conceive an evil heart, yet they are born of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever? At what point does their heart, which is incorruptible, their word in which they are begotten with, is incorruptible? At what point then does it then start to become corruptible and men depart from the living God? That's probably not Christian. You're talking about non-believers. Uh-uh. Next verse says, but exhort one another daily. 
while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, as he's saying that if we are not exhorted, if we don't talk to each other, not share these things, he says slowly by slowly, if exhortations are not given, our hearts can be hardened. You understand? It is possible for somebody's heart to harden in the process, even though, in other words, when you become born again, your heart is of flesh, right? But Paul is telling us that it is possible to be born with a heart of flesh, and then it starts to harden, depending on what you teach, what you think, what you interpret, what you understand, how you receive, how you respond, how you yield, how you submit, how you incline, how you apply. It's possible. Praise God. And he says, verses 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And what if we don't hold it to the end? Okay? And then he continues to say, verses 15, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they have heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? He was grieved by the very people that God sent the word. He gave them the word. And instead of responding to the word of God, they set themselves in provocation. They rebelled themselves against the word of God. And so it's possible for God to give you the word, for you to receive the message, and you set yourself against it. It's possible. And if you're teaching a Calvinistic teaching, you'll say, uh-uh, we are submitted to the sovereignty of God, and our will is not ours, but he's therefore, if I'm disobeying, it's only by the will of God, and if I'm obeying, it's only by the will of God. But Jacobus Arminius, which I agree with in part, he says, see, me, I think, Jacobus says, that man, human beings have their own will. They have the choice to choose to either yield to the thing in God or refuse. And I believe with Jacobus Arminius that God, in his sovereignty, will not impose will on you lest you become a robot. In other words, your love is not invited. Your love is something that has been attuned there. So why then would he judge the man that does not love if he's the one who causes you to love him? You see what I'm saying? Why would he have a problem with a man who gets lost if it's not in the power of that man? Total depravity. If it's not in the power of that man to change. I disagree. I agree with Jacobus Arminius in that sense to say that I believe that human beings, you and I have will. And you can choose to live good or live bad. You can choose to obey the word of God or not. You can choose to heed to the word or set yourself against it to provocation. It's a choice. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us in Hebrews 3.17. He's trying to tell us that it's one thing to give people the word. It's another for men's hearts to soften toward the word. It's one thing for God to give you whatever you need to learn. It's another for you to decide to take it or not. But to take it or not, again, don't put it on the sovereignty of God. Put it best on your will to make the choice to say, I choose to believe God and do what is right or I refuse. Least he would not be warning us if it was beyond our ability to do. You understand what I'm saying? And then when Paul is speaking to the church, you see that sometimes he makes very stunning statements as though implying that it's in our power to do because it is right to say, huh? but it's in our power. Somebody shout amen. amen. 
And that is why he says that if we do not exhort ourselves daily, he says we shall fall into the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Remember, Paul has an added definition of sin. And it's in this simple statement that whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. In other words, every time we disconnect ourselves from faith, every time we disconnect our faith from belief, then we are walking in sin. So sin is not necessary moral compass. Sin really is the state of mind of the place of the heart that sets itself against what it knows is right and provokes it. So sin does not begin when you do what you do. Sin begins when you yield to something that is against the will of God and inside you know that you shouldn't. But then somehow you find your soul inclining to something that is against your spirit. Are you following me? So, although I cannot say you are a sinner because sin is in your body, but we can recognize that there is sin in the flesh. You understand what I'm saying? Now, when Paul says take heed, again the warnings have appeared. And now the harder one. Hebrews 6 verses 4. Again, he's talking to the Hebrews. This is one of the most debated scriptures. And that is why if you've been listening to grace preachers, they don't touch that part. Or when they do, they either interpret it Calvinistically or according to what they assume their doctrine gives satisfaction to. But they don't quite go into detail. And even me, for a while in my earlier years of ministry... I used to take it from a Calvinistic. But as I grew, I started to see that certain things in it cannot apply. For example, he says a statement, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tested of the heavenly gift. And remember when you say test there, okay? Even me, I used to say tested, not eaten of the bread of life. So I used to say, okay, let's just say they tested, but they have not eaten. Because I already said, no, nobody who has really eaten, okay, can what? Can set themselves. I used to say the same as well. But over there, my mindset would change because when the Bible says that Christ has tested death for us, did he really die or he just tested it? And the same word there for tested death is the same word for tested the heavenly gift. In other words, this is not just the testing like we use in our doctrine of Ukombako, right? This is something that if Jesus tested death for every man, are you hearing me? He really died in physical sense. So here, you cannot use that term and say that they tested, but they had not really taken in the bread of life. Then if they had not taken the bread of life, why does the next verse say, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost? They were not just blessed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they partook. The Holy Spirit. You know, I'm just talking about people who are believers. 
isn't that really so against our usual teaching? How can someone set themselves? How can you say it's impossible? Are you hearing me? But he says it's impossible for them which were once enlightened and have tested of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tested the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. The Bible says if they shall fall away to renew them again and to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. He said with those ones it's impossible. To repentance, Paul? That is not quite a language you give when you're teaching the grace message. And because this slaps our usual understanding of grace, many preachers prefer to skip Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 and then they go into other things. But remember, if we're studying present truth, repentance from dead works is a grace understanding. Faith has a grace understanding. The baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrections of the dead and the eternal judgment, all of that stuff you realize encompasses around the doctrine that we are trying to teach and establish amidst the saints. These are foundational, but there are more things on those foundations that we build. But he says it is impossible to renew such people and to repentance when they fall away. In other words, it is possible for a believer to fall away. It is possible for a person who had faith to fall off. When Paul is speaking to his spiritual son in Timothy, in 1 Timothy verses 1.19, he tells him to keep faith, right? Holding faith, he says, and of a good conscience. And he says, from which some, some, he uses word some, Having put away, that means they had it, but they put away. He says concerning the faith. The Bible says they have made them shipwreck of their faith. And as they receive this faith, embrace the gospel, embrace the message. But at one particular point, they put away this faith. And the conscience was killed concerning their faith. And they made shipwreck. And in the next line he says, and of whom is Himenaeus, right? He says Himenaeus and he calls another man called Alexander. And he says, whom, Paul says, I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, Himenaeus and Alexander, even though they were believers in the faith, they had this thing, they received faith. They were workers of faith. They had a good conscience toward God. But at one particular point, their hearts turned and they were put away. And in putting away, the scriptures tell us when they turned against the course, the men that used to celebrate and submit themselves to the will and purposes of God now started to blaspheme God. They abused God. They started speaking evil of God. And when Paul saw that, he handed them over to Satan. And later we see Paul saying, and some we handed over to Satan, that their bodies will be destroyed, but their spirits will be saved. In other words, this doesn't mean that Himenaeus and Alexandra were to go to hell, that the grace of God had left them, but he's saying that even in the fact that the grace and mercy of God was there because they had believed on God, now they had started to bring damage to the gospel. Damage to the gospel. And they had to be put away a certain way. Hey, Paul, you're a grace preacher. Why didn't you give grace to Himenaeus and Alexandra? Because 
Alexander and Jimenez fall in the class of people of whom it is impossible to bring back. If in the mind of Paul there was any place to bring them back, Paul, he says, for you know, brethren, that I wish that I was a cast off for the sake of my brethren, the Jews. The heart of Paul was to the extent that if God had guaranteed the salvation of Israel, Paul was ready to die and go to hell if Israel was saved. That's how much love was in his heart. But when he saw these men change, he knew that if these men continue like this, if this continues like this, they can only destroy. They will never do anything constructive. I'd rather hand them over to Satan their bodies are destroyed that on that day God will help them their spirits will go to heaven in other words so they don't do more damage than they are doing and which it's impossible to renew them let's kill them off and help them such that we help the church but also help them that they don't go to heaven and start regretting the damages they've given to people and some people say oh Paul did not walk in love understand what Paul is trying to say with these ones you could not renew they are people you cannot bring back And you must understand that. You must understand that. That people, even God, listen, and that's why we get it wrong. When we read that to renew them again and to repentance, many of us translate that as to be forgiven and exercise mercy and grace over them. No, God's grace does not leave them. God's mercy does not leave them. God's forgiveness does not leave them. He did not say that the problem is with God. He said, no, the problem is these people. That regardless of how much grace and mercy is given them, they will never repent. They will never repent. And I've gone to realize in my life of salvation that there are people who will never change. And grace ministers cannot give any opinion on what we can do with those. Because every time we get to that end, if you're a total Calvinist, you will not want to say that a man can be handed over or that a man would fail to change if indeed Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of the man's faith who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of God. So if Jesus is the author of this man's faith, how can this man fail in the end? We are saying that even though Jesus is the author and the finisher of this man's faith, the man has to hold steadfast to Christ. It's his desire, his will, his mandate, his decision to say, even though... I am given eternal salvation. It is my choice to say I believe it and receive it and continue to believe it. Or I can even choose and lose my faith in that salvation. That doesn't mean that that man won't go to heaven. Because if he believed, he believed. But how he will go to heaven? And what will happen while he's still on the earth? That is why when you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, He says, they crucified to themselves the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Verse 7 says, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh often upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. And he says, but that which beareth thorns, now he's talking about them, and barriers, is rejected and is nigh unto cursing. It's not cursed, it is almost, it's near to cursing. It looks like it is cursed. He's not saying God can't say he will curse them. He's only saying they start to look like they're cursed, whose end is to be burned. And we're talking about burning, we're not talking about hell. We're talking about wax. You remember how he speaks of men at the end of the day when he says, uh, but their wax will be burned, but even as they shall be saved as those which have been saved through fire, because the fire shall come to test our wax for which nature they are. Ladies and gentlemen, that is still New Testament and grace message. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, every man's work shall be what? 
shall be manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work for what sort of it and he says and if any man's work abide which he has built thereupon he shall receive a reward but he says but if any man's work shall be burned the bible says he shall suffer loss but he shall be saved yet as by fire so we're not saying they're not going to go to heaven but we're only saying that on us there are going to be people without effect in fact even worse they can start living a life of self-destruction and not only self-destruction, but destroying even other people. Yet they're born again and they're going to heaven. So he speaks that they bear thorns and barriers and are rejected and nigh unto cursing and whose end is to be burned. Then he tells these guys, as a father, he says, but you brethren, we are persuaded of better things of you and things that accompany your salvation, though we speak. So he's saying, even though I'm speaking these things, Hebrews, I don't think that you're still at that level. You've reached that level. So even me, I prefer to say you've not reached there. But I'm also telling you that certain people have reached there. And some are on the road there. Even in the grace message. And because grace preachers can't touch those things, we are losing people every day and the grace message doesn't seem to give the answer that is needed for such people. If you are an ardent follower of things, you will see that we have lost people, even in the grace message. The message that was supposed to save. Was the problem the message? No. But even when grace was given, they still couldn't take it. They still couldn't take it. And I'll tell you why, or where it begins from. I'll tell you the reason why it happens. God has called us into a life, one, of love. God is love, isn't it? And they that love not know not God. That means when you enter this place of relationship with God and receiving the grace of God, you enter the love relationship. This love you didn't invite. This love invited you. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? And because of that love relationship, everything that Christ tells us is love. Isn't it? Everything Jesus teaches is love. And that means if you are responding, huh, you are responding to love. Okay? Let me give you a typical example. You're born again. Born of the spirit and of the word. You're a child of God. You profess all these things to be true. You confess. You speak in tongues. You rebuke devils when you dream bad dreams. You speak in tongues. You even pull out things and then you speak things in your spirit. And then you, you know, you do all these things, okay? And then a sister hurts you, okay? And then you get hurt. And what does love say? Love says, forgive 70 times seven, right? The vengeance on the life of Cain and on the life of Lamech, if you study it. Because the life of Cain, which killed Abel, he says, he that kills you, I shall avenge your life by seven lives. And then he tells Lamech, and he that killeth Lamech, 70 fold, right? In other words, that's 70 times seven. There's a mystery around Lamech and Cain. You can study it if you're a student of the word. You'll understand the mystery. But he has said 70 times seven times. He says you should forgive. Are you seeing now you, you're mad at this sister for one thing. 
of the 70 times 7 possible things she could do to you. I'm just giving you an example. And you still have the grace to forgive. You're still dealing with the sister because she hurt you over one of the 70 times 7. Now when you are a reader of the word of God and you know that Jesus Christ loves and he is love and you know how much God has forgiven you. He doesn't even keep any record of you. I'm just giving you an example. Any record. Any, any record. Any record. He says, I have forgiven you. You receive his forgiveness. Okay? You wrong God every day. He has never slapped you. He has never ignored you. He has never stopped talking with you. You receive him through the word. He has never stopped intervening for you. He has never stopped keeping you. This is him saying, be the child. I'll still be the mature and I'll extend love to you. This is God. Then with that much love and grace he has bestowed on you. Okay? You come to this one sister who has done one. Okay, let's say 10 things. Let's increase them to 20. 70 times. Uh-uh. But you, you're dealing with one thing. Okay? If you are the kind that deals with unforgiveness, but you are a believer, okay? You go to God and tell him, God, I believe in my heart that I forgive Sister Susan. I believe it. I forgive Sister Rachel. I feel it. I forgive her. But I'm struggling for that manifestation. Because in my nature of things, there is no way I cannot forgive her. This is one or two, three things she has done. Of the 70 times 7, I should forgive her. But I'm struggling to forgive her. Help me to forgive her. If that day you find her and then you don't greet her, huh? but you're struggling, it is still okay. Because in your heart, you have made up to forgive and it's a work in progress. One day you'll greet her. One day you'll bless her. One day you'll do good to her. One day you'll respond to her. Why? Because it is in your heart and nature too. You see? Then there is someone, okay, in their heart. Every time they think about Sister Rachel, they justify their anger. You understand? They what? They justify their anger. They justify their anger. And in their heart you see that there is no forgiveness in them. That means you have set yourself against the faith. And in setting yourself against the faith, you have started sleeping away. And a time comes... If this continues, one day you'll get to a point where nobody can bring you to repentance. But begin with that one thing, unforgiveness. One thing like this. Like I said, grace preachers don't talk about this. Because it doesn't mean that the grace of God is not on you or the mercy of you. It is. But it is throttled. It is frustrated. 
That's why the Bible speaks of frustrating the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace can be frustrated. And I mean that he leaves you, but he can be frustrated. He can be limited in function over your life. He can be frustrated to work as he should work in your life. Are you following what I'm saying? The spirit of grace is frustrated. That means you will live like someone who is next to a curse. They mean that you're cursed, but things around you will be anathema. There will be mayhem. Certain things will start falling out of line for you. And you think that you're going to go to a prayer mountain and fix it. I don't know how I can explain to some people that certain things are not fixed on a prayer mountain. You pray. But if you frustrate the grace of God, the spirit of grace... What more sacrifice can God give you? If even grace is the offer doesn't work for you, what more can he add? That means it is possible to slip away. It is possible to slip away. It is possible for someone to fall off slowly by slowly in the smaller things. I just touched on forgiveness, but there are many other aspects. If you know that you're dealing with something, be a work in progress, but show God that God, this is not right and I'm working it. But I have experiences of individuals who are not sorry, even when they do wrong and they're under the grace message. Because when they see the grace of God is available for them and for some, they take that as reason to be you know the way they are the way they are and today now we are dealing with the witchcraft of 1st Samuel 15:22 because some people think witchcraft is people who go in shrines, shake up things like this, and then they sacrifice animals and then they put colors on themselves, then evoke spirits that level of witchcraft is nothing. But the highest level of witchcraft I've seen is between people who profess Christ. And some of you are doing witchcraft not only on you, but on others too. And you don't know. You're under sort of a force of witchcraft. Why? Because see, in Samuel he said that has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. To obey the voice of God is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the voice of God than the fat of rams. You know what that means? It means that if you are Nasha, Forgiving your sister is more important than your ushering. And don't think for a moment that you are better because you usher with unforgiveness. And in the next line he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is idolatry. It's idolatry. 
And he told the king, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. But here we're not talking about kingship here. He said that if you get to a point of rebelling against the word of God, you are practicing total witchcraft. You and all these witches and sorcerers, there is no difference between you and them. Understand this. When a man rebels, God sees that as witchcraft. Understand it. When a man is stubborn, God sees that as idolatry. You have idols in your house. You're worshiping another God. Because when God says do, and then you refuse, it means you're listening to another God. You might not know that you are, but you are. And you can't serve two masters at a go. You love one and hate the other. You'll honor one and despise the other. When you honor this anger God, you despise God. When you hold on to this one God, you despise one God. When you love anger, you hate God. Even in the grace message, yes. Is it possible? Yes. Because a man has free will. So, I have been in the ministry and I've dealt with stubborn people. But I wish I could tell them that you have idols. I've been in the ministry and I've dealt with rebellious people. But I wish I could look at them face to face and tell them, woman, you are dealing with witchcraft. There's something on you. You don't understand it, but it's killing you. But you see, as a man of God or as ministers of the gospel, sometimes we find places where we can no longer talk to certain people anymore because we don't know where they are. We don't know whether they are still at the place of redemption or they are still in those you can't renew to repentance. You get it? Because if they are here, anything you say, they will turn against you. They will not take it. They will turn against you. Or you will waste time. But if they are just on the verge of going, maybe as you share they can come back. Then what you do? Just teach the word. Do you know there are people in this ministry I can't call, even when I see they are going to knock, I can't call and tell them you're going to knock. Because the heart on them, the rebelliousness, the witchcraft on their lives, okay, the things that they've set themselves against, if you call them, you'll create war. So you'd rather knock and then say, let us pray. I'm telling you, there are people I can't advise. The voice of counsel, my voice of counsel can't speak to them. And I am sure God doesn't talk to them. Because every time you want to share, you feel that the spirit of God is frustrated. You see? And they can hear another thing and call it God. And be convinced God spoke to them. But when you look at their destinies, they start to spell men that are going to destruction and they do not know it. They don't know it. They do not know it. They do not know it. I always tell people you will never be right in conviction when the principle is wrong. You will never be right. God is not the author of confusion. When you're wrong by principle, you can never be right by conviction. But many times we say God has spoken words that are against his principles. 
and we say that God has spoken to us. You can't tell them that this is not God speaking. Why? Because they don't understand the order of the spirit. You understand what I'm saying? And some of them, they've even gone beyond putting witchcraft on themselves. They're bewitching others. Did you know that speaking evil on someone is witchcraft? Because you're pronouncing anathema on them. Gossip is witchcraft. There is no difference between a gossip, a slanderer, and someone who does witchcraft. Why? Because a person who does witchcraft is speaking mayhem to destroy another. And that's exactly what you are doing. When you open your mouth and speak about another sister. In other words, you want to accuse her so her destiny is tainted. Because she's weak. That is anathema. That's a curse. And whoever curses practices witchcraft. Some of you, you are witch doctors even more than these witch doctors because some of these witch doctors, they do witchcraft without personal vendetta. They don't have issues against people. They just come, run them dead, let them die. I don't have an issue with them. I don't know them. But some of you, you even direct it to people you know and of your faith. How can you sit and discuss evil about someone? How can you gossip and slander someone? How do you sit with it as a conscience? And you're warned. And tomorrow again, you sit in a conversation of gossip. How do you do that? My wife is my witness. In my house, we don't discuss evil about people. We don't. My pastors are my witness. We don't discuss evil about people. If we are talking, we talk about things that add on them. We don't discuss people. Evil to pronounce anathema? To curse them? No. Why should we? We don't slander. I don't slander. I don't. I don't. You know, if they told you I slandered you, that's another devil speaking on someone. I don't slander. I don't. I cannot slander. Because I know every time I open my mouth, I'm speaking witchcraft. This mouth was created to bless men. Somebody shout hallelujah. But do you know, gossip can kill you slowly. That by the time you're done, you no longer hear God. And you're convinced you hear him. Because even those who don't hear him think they hear him. Because they hear other spirits. They do. Recently, I was praying for somebody who, over oh, they went on a mountain and was a certain man of God phoned them and told them things about Fanero, how Fanero practices witchcraft. We do sorcery, go underwater. And she believed it. I just started praying for her because, number one, what took her to that mountain? I'm not saying I have a problem with you going on your mountains. Nayabamu. Even where you think to pray from, you don't even understand the altars you go to. You just take your heads to men's altars because they speak words you think you understand. That's witchcraft. How can they tell her that to all of us? We go and how? I'm just giving an example. Do you see what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, someone convinced her that in Fanero they don't pray. Because we don't pray your way, Wait, because we don't pray your way, you think we don't pray? Wow. 
Because when we fast, we don't have pink lips, dirty lips. You, you mean we don't fast? You're joking. You're joking. You're joking. We pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. We just don't pray your way, but we pray. Yes, we burn midnight oils. We pray. We wake up at night and pray. We even pray for you. We pray. Don't be mistaken. Me, I told people, if you doubt our prayer life, look at our fruit. No, if you think we don't pray, look at our fruit and try to build ministry. You'll understand that you can't build ministry without prayer. You can't speak certain things when you've not been in the presence of God. And you can't manifest certain glories without a certain relationships. You can't. You can't. What we emphasize in this ministry is personal prayer. Because some of you, without some groups, you can't pray. Learn to pray alone. When we come together, you bring your fire and mine, and then we join it and pray together. But don't think that because you pray in your funny thing, others don't pray. That's misleading. We pray. We do pray, probably even more than you do. But we don't put faces of prayer. We don't pray so men know that we pray. No. When I'm praying, I don't need to invite my wife can tell you sometimes she finds me praying in my own. I don't need to tell her I'm going to pray. No, because this is me and God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So don't be mistaken. <laughs> Some of you can't even fast for two weeks. And you're judging men of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, that's not how things are done. That's anathema. That's witchcraft. That's what? Witchcraft. That's a falling away. You see some people falling away. Pray, but don't judge other people for not praying because you're not with them. And you might be shocked that even your prayers are not heard. You might be shocked that your prayers are not heard. You might be shocked. You might be shocked that God hears some people. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Don't live in the ministry to judge who doesn't fast, who doesn't give, who doesn't help, who doesn't love his wife, who loves his wife. Please, please, please. God didn't call you for that. You love your wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you live to do that. Who comes late? Who didn't come? Hey, if they didn't come, find out why and pray for them. But don't judge everyone who hasn't prayed because you don't know where they are. Mind your own business. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. If it's concern, we shall know because you'll call. You'll find out. You'll ask. You understand what I'm saying? You'll ask. You'll ask. So I asked God, why is it that for some people it is hard to renew? And he said, look, because for some people I showed them enough and I knew that if they have seen this, if they should go against this, nothing deeper in me will ever catch wonder in them. Nothing. And there are people like that. That is why I tell Christians, in all that you lose, never lose the wonder of God. Never lose the wonder of God. It's the beginning of slipping away 
and starting to lose God in the familiar things because you think you understand them. Yet to some men, these things are still fresh. How many of you, you are in a sermon, you listen to it, and then one day you play it and it is fresh. Why is it fresh to you? Because you have not lost the wonder. You ask what might be wrong now, but in 10 years, Mama, I hear for so many men to be wrong about one. God has entrusted me with so many lives to be wrong about one individual. I'm telling you. Because I know the price of lives. But some people, God, the things you saw, the things you have seen, if you can depart from them, there are some people, they will never find anything deeper in God. They'll look for it, but they'll never find it. Because it's not there. It's not there. That's why it says, if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, up to today, Sodom would still remain. And I think you know what I mean by Sodom. In other words, now God is worried that the things that were not done in Sodom have been done in certain people and they have fallen away as Sodom did. You understand what I'm saying? And some, it's the small little things that they had. It's the small little things that came by when you met the gospel. Some of you have slept away because of the small things. When you read Luke 17 verses 28, he says, Likewise it was in the days of Lot. Where was Lot? In Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember? They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They builded. But the Bible says, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire. In other it's not enough that you bought a house, bought a car, you're building and success is on you. Do you know how many people have detached from God because success came after seeking God? Do you know how many people are no longer hungry because they got a job? Remember you when you didn't have a job. Remember you when you were still struggling. Remember you when you woke up one day and your clothes were getting torn and you didn't have shoes. You were in the presence of God. You even borrowed money to be in the presence. Now, you pray when you want. You live stream, you don't. Now you've been satisfied so quickly. <laughs> you know, in my life of ministry, I have noted there are people I began many years ago with. And some kept on. They're still amazed at the wonder. And then over the years, I saw some falling off. And I'm not judging that everyone who does not attend is falling off. But I am a man who can observe and say, this one didn't get it. They didn't get it. He was on every meeting, she was on every meeting, and then over years, you start to see some devil comes in there and confuses them. Before you know there, then you're like, was this the person who was on every meeting? And then someone comes in the ministry two, three, four, five months down the road and they get it. And pain grips you. You're like, yeah. Then you think maybe they're just excited. One year, two years, three years, 
they have gotten up. This one is in six years. You compare the six years with this one and the three years with this one, and what this one has done in three years is evident that they understood it. But you don't know how to explain to this six-year-old person that you died slowly without knowing. And you can still continue speaking in tongues and build houses and drink and sleep and marry wives. You're disconnected. The thing that used to catch wonder on you doesn't catch you anymore. And some, they give the impression that because they understand or know, but when you look at the message, the message is progressing every hour. We are preaching deeper than we did when we first met you. And the ministry is progressing. The voice is going upward. It's going on television stations every day. It's going on radio every other day. The Facebooks. You can see that the voice is rising. But you're not rising with it. If you knew me six years ago, I'm deeper. That's the truth. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why Paul says, in the time when you ought to be teachers, he says, it is sad that now we need to teach you again those which be the first principles of the oracles. And he says, and you've become such as those that have need of milk. When you ought... There are people, if I had the grace, I would teach them and teach them salvation again. But I can't because they will not understand me. They can even anathema me. They can curse me. They can even destroy me. But there are people I look at and if I still had opportunity, I would tell them, let's go back to ABC. Because you never understood salvation. You never understood divine instruction. You never understood submission and accountability. You never understood it. Because we can't be at that level. And you disrespect the altar from which you've drunk. One time I asked someone, I said, you, I laid hands on you under this hand and you fell and rolled in chairs and you stand up and talk to me a certain way. Because I laugh and humble myself around you, you think you can talk to me a certain way? I taught you everything you know. Or at least appreciate me for the two months I taught you God. But some of them are even disrespectful to powers. Because they have no fear of God in them. Someone falls under your power, stands up and abuses you. And you look at them and you're wiser. You can't talk back to them. And they think you are weak. You know, we're not weak. No. We're just fathers. We're just fathers. I can't stand losing you. Oh, if you should lose you, you lose yourself, but I wasn't a part of that. This message is not for people who have gone beyond repair. This one is for those who might be on the verge, but I promise you, there are people, even after hearing this, they'll stay where they are. You can't change some people. You get to a level where you can preach and people are praying over a message and someone is looking like this as people are praying. People are speaking in tongues. And they Then they go on their phone. They reply, what's up? What is that thing that threw you in chairs? But now, eh, you can't even speak in tongues. You can't. You understand? Eh? Where are you going? Where are you going? And if this continues that way, 
How are you going to look like? And some of the people who get stuck 10 years later and they blame everyone else except themselves. But you put witchcraft on you. You did. If I had the power, I would reteach some people. And if you're more wiser, I would advise you, some of you, revisit some of these sermons and go back and listen. Because chances are that we are leaving some of you behind. Yet the ministry is growing. And over the years, I've been shocked at those who understood because they looked like they didn't understand. But over the years, you see that they understood. So the things of God are confusing a bit. They're interesting to see. I still read Genesis chapter 1 and it amazes me like I first read it. How can they read something and I'm not saying pretend to, but what in you is so dead that you can't react to the word? I'm not saying scream amen. You can tell when a man is responding to the word. They don't need to say amen. But there's something that shows. Your fruit shows. Your reaction shows. Your service, your commitment shows. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you have lost too much, but you still come to the presence because you know how important he is. You still know that I still believe in this God. But how many people fell off? Because maybe they didn't get what they wanted the way they should have received it. You understand what I'm saying? So I thank God that some of you are still standing. Okay? But my prayer is that we never lose the wonder. Because there are people, it has been so long since God really touched you. So long since God really touched you. So long since the Spirit really ministered to you. And some, they no longer feel him. Some, they have a form they feel, but it does not carry the substance because they've never tested the real form. Or if they did, they have deceived themselves and believed the lie that what they are feeling is the thing. Why isn't it leading you into more sacrifice, more yieldedness, more service, more prayer, more commitment, more accountability? Because it's not it. I pray to God that you and I, even me, I'm praying for myself, eh? that in whatever we lose, we never lose the wonder God. That the sermon I first had the first day would still move me now as I had it because truth is timeless. It's eternal. If it was true then, it is true now. And if it blessed me then, it can still bless me now. I want because we're entering a season as a ministry where some of you are going to see other people going places and see yourself in one place and ask me questions I'm not able to answer because at that point I might not even be able to explain to you. You understand what I'm saying? But my prayer to God is that you don't miss what God is doing. Is that you don't miss what God is doing. And if in the words I've spoken you don't sense love, then you're beyond repair. But for those of you who have understood this, prepare yourselves. Understand what God is up to. Take altar instruction serious. When God says do something, do it. Do it. Just do it. Be true to the voice of God. 
Because whether you want it or not, he speaks through us. He speaks through us. And many of you, if you had not met this message, you'd be dead. You'd be in a far worse place than you are. Even though you think you're in a bad place, you'd be in a worse place if you had not met me. Praise God. Raise your voice and speak to God. You take me. Speak to God. You mold me. You use me. me. Just talk to him. Wherever you are. If I need forgiveness, forgive me. Come on, speak in other tongues. Speak in other tongues. Speak in other tongues. speak to God.
Father, we thank you for the words that we've had tonight. Our honest prayer, God, is like you'll help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. May we keep the wonder, you. May we stay sensitive to the things that touch you. And may we be only entertained and ministered to by the things that touch you. May the things of the Spirit never grow old to us and familiar because God you are eternal you gave us one book but that book has spoken for centuries it is still as new now as it was when it was first printed may you stay alive to us always and may the things that touched us then touch us now the things that convicted us then convict us now the things we saw then see them now if indeed they were truth and may there be evidence of our progression. May we look only to ourselves and not to others. May we not judge men but understand ourselves individually. Help us God. Help us. Help us. That these things will not sleep. Help us. That we fall not away and our faith hit shipwreck. Help us. That we might obey the voice. We refuse witchcraft of any sort in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Give the Lord a mighty of praise. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're there and you say, I've never received Jesus, I'm not born again. Repeat yourself after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for your word tonight. I receive it in Jesus name tonight I receive you Jesus as my Lord and Savior and born again Amen The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International For more information contact us on telephone number 
1-800-242-4291 or email us at funerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. Thank you.